Hey there. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. I asked to do a sermon, you know, it's usually pretty far in advance, maybe months in advance. So five or six weeks before then, I finally get around to thinking, well, I need to do a little preparation here. So, you know, you go read the scripture and kind of my first thought is, um, there's not enough there to preach on for 45 minutes. You know, it's, so then over the next couple of weeks, few weeks, you start to think about it and research it a little bit. And then after maybe two or three weeks, you come up with the conclusion, there's way more to preach about in that passage than I'm going to have time for. And usually the week before, I pretty much have all my thoughts in order. You know, you're just, when do you say this and how do you organize things? And it's a lot of work. I don't know how Clark does it every week, frankly. Um, and then... Last week, Mike preached his sermon, and it's like, you know, I'm just going to plagiarize some of the things that Mike talked about. Well, plagiarize isn't the right word. Maybe I'm going to borrow some of the things that, well, even borrow is not the right. What I want to do today is I want to build on some of the things that Mike preached about last week. And the three points that I got, hope, I hope I'm right, Mark, and I get living water points if I'm right. There are three things that I got out of Mike's sermon was, number one, the importance of knowledge. Number two, how important it is for us to remember, you know, that knowledge that we know sometimes tends to get covered up by other things. So it's important for us to remember that knowledge. And number three, the importance of growth, that we continue to grow in our knowledge and by remembering what we know, we continue to grow in our Christian walk. So those are the three things that I want to really build on today. And we'll continue to look at uh, the verses um, out of Second Peter chapter 1. We will get into chapter 2 a little bit, but I'm going to skip over most of that. And you'll see why when I get there. Um, so here are the scriptures out of Mike's sermon last week that I thought were, were relevant. The first eight verses, he uses the word knowledge several times. Grace and peace to yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, I think Mike mentioned that that word for knowledge there is not just the Greek word gnosis, which is the Greek word for knowledge. It's epinosis. And epi is a preposition that modifies that idea of knowledge. And it's knowledge on top of or above is a full knowledge. It's knowledge that includes everything there is to know. And that's what Peter is saying we need to base the fact that we get abundance and grace if we really have that full knowledge of Christ. Um, verse 3, his divine power has been given, has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him. And to your faith, uh, verse 5, and to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, we're talking about things to add to your faith, knowledge. So he, he has this list of things that we're supposed to add to our faith, to our life, and one of those things is knowledge. And then in verse 8, keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things obviously were important to Peter. He starts off in the first eight verses with 
the idea of that knowledge. And it's not just general knowledge. It's knowledge of God and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in uh, verse 12, we also talked about, Mike also talked about, he talks about this idea of remembering. And he starts with his own recognition that he's, he knows he's not going to live much longer. And he wants to remind the people that he's mentored or he, the people he's writing to of the things that are important. So I will always remind you of the things, of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, the truth, the knowledge, the true knowledge that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memories as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. These things were important to Peter. And he was reminding them. And it's interesting, he reminds them of the things that they already know. Well, they already know them. But he's anticipating the fact that knowledge tends to get buried among all the other life's cares and worries and all the other things that we experience. You know, really at the core of what it means to be a human is this idea of that we are able to know. Was it Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am? Well, thinking is just thinking about the things you know. So I think you could say that I know things, therefore I am. I am a person. And that's really, I think, part of what it means to be created in God's image. God is a knowing God. He knows things. And being created in his image means we have the ability to, to know things. Not in the same way he knows things, but we do. So I'm going to use some pictures here. And, you know, when I was in junior high, being called a square was not cool. <laughs> It was like you were a nerd or I don't know. You, you just weren't cool. You were a square. You didn't fit with the, with the in crowd. So, but you guys are all squares today. So, <laughs> This is a picture of you. It's obviously a pretty simple picture. But in the center of our being are the things we know. We have knowledge about things. We have knowledge of our environment. We have knowledge of what we need to stay alive. We have knowledge of good and evil. A lot of people argue where that comes from. We have knowledge of others, of our family, our friends, our acquaintances. We have knowledge of our enemies. We know things that affect our lives. That are really, that, that's what makes up a human life, are the things that a person knows. And as I said, that's part of being created in God's image. But our knowledge can, the knowledge of things we knew at one time tends to fade. I mean, if you go back to the earliest memory you had, some people go back to maybe three or four years old. I can't remember back that old. It's probably first grade, second grade are the things that I can remember. Well, when I was 12, I used to remember those things. But, but of earlier times, but those things have been, have been set aside for new things, new knowledge. And that, that happens. That's what Peter was concerned about. He wants to remind people how important that knowledge was. Um, so I want to ask you a question. If you have a bulletin on the back of your bulletin, there's uh, question number one. And if you have a pencil, or if you just want to do it in your mind, you can do that. When did you first attain some knowledge about Jesus? And I suspect for most of us, it goes back a long way. Whether we were raised in a church or not, somewhere along the line in our childhood, we, we heard about Jesus. But we're a lot more complicated than this simple picture, right? It's knowledge isn't everything. So I want to expand on that a little bit. But we know things, 
And some of the things we know we believe in very strongly. And the things that we believe in very strongly affects our attitude, our outlook towards life. And the way we look at life affects the way we behave, the way we do things, the actions we do. So at the core of how we behave as humans is some knowledge, or sometimes a lack of knowledge. And the things that are important to us, the things that we really believe in, end up affecting how we view life, our attitudes, and the things that we accomplish. That's why James says that faith, which is really belief, without works, which is really actions, is a dead faith. If we really have beliefs that we strongly believe are true and rooted in knowledge, they will manifest themselves in the way we act and behave in our actions. I'm not saying that all you need is actions, and people misinterpret that. And I know Mark has talked about that, and we really, in the last couple of years, we've brought that up several times. So knowledge about Jesus, and we may even believe that Jesus was a figure that actually existed, but that, that doesn't make us a Christian. Knowledge of Jesus doesn't make us a Christian. Um, one, the knowledge we have about Jesus has to be true, has to be true. Number two, the way we understand that knowledge needs to be accurate. We have to have an accurate understanding of the facts and the things that we know. And number three, we must believe that that knowledge relates directly to us, applies directly to us. And if you have a true knowledge of who Jesus was and why he came, and you recognize, well, that, that applies to me, and you express that belief, that's what the definition of a Christian is. Um, a lot of people say they're Christians. If you ask them, what, what religion are you or what belief system? They say because they grew up in the church, uh, they grew up in a Christian home, they believe God helped them out of some situation. You know, it says, God, I'll always follow you if you get me out of this tough jam, that type of thing. Maybe they married a Christian. Maybe they were baptized as an infant or a child or a youth. Um, maybe they just identify with church people. They like church people. Maybe they're trying to emulate Jesus' lifestyle. You know, Jesus is a good model. And people trying to emulate him without really understanding what he came for. Um, maybe Christianity just feels right to them. It feels like, yeah, Christianity is different than Islam. It's just, you know, it just feels right that this is the way we're supposed to live. Uh, those reasons are, are, are based on either a lack of real knowledge or they have knowledge that they haven't interpreted properly. They don't understand it properly. And what Peter says is that the intellectual base, intellectual base of Christianity is knowing Jesus. It's not how we feel. It's not how we relate to people around us. It's actually knowing Jesus in a real, tangible way. And then he goes on in the rest of chapter 2 to give a couple of reasons why you can believe that that knowledge is true. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, he received glory and honor from God the Father when the voice came down from him from the majestic glory. And when I thought of majestic glory, I immediately thought of Mark's lesson a couple of weeks ago. You know, Yahweh, God's name, his majestic glory, his personal name. They personally heard from that God in a personal way. 
saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from the heavens when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, how does the world view the Bible a lot of the world? Well, it's, you know, it's a bunch of cleverly devised stories, really. Much of the world, they think, well, it's you know, an interesting book. It's got a lot of stories in it. Some of them are pretty clever or interesting. Um, it's distressing to know that many Christians take that same view or a distorted view of the Bible. And what Peter is saying is, um, I was there. And notice the two verbs he uses to describe his experience. I saw and I heard. Well, that's the way most of us get most of our knowledge, right? We see things, we read things, we hear things. That's where knowledge comes into our life is through the things we see and hear. Not that we don't learn things through our other senses, but those are the primary senses by which we attain knowledge. And Peter's saying that he saw the things that Jesus did. He saw him on the mountain and he heard what God said about him. So he's saying, I, I am a first-hand witness to these events. Therefore, you, my audience, you can, you can believe what I'm saying is true. Other passages in Scripture talk about there was a multitude of witnesses to what Jesus did. But he doesn't stop there. You know, a first-hand account would have been a strong argument if, if I, you know, for me, if I knew Peter. You know, if I really knew Peter, that would be a pretty strong argument. Even if I knew somebody that knew Peter, that I trusted, that would be a strong argument. Or if I knew about Peter's reputation through a variety of sources. You know, but 2,000 years later, there aren't many people around that knew Peter or knew someone that knew Peter. So that first-hand witness may not have as much weight with us as it did to the people he was writing to. So he doesn't stop on the first-hand witness. He, he goes on in chapter 19 to say, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So two weeks ago, we learned about a word that describes that. What's that word? Inspired. The prophets were inspired by God to reveal truth about God using their own words and their own styles in their own languages. Well, um, so why do we believe prophecy in the Bible is true? Well, when you read the Bible, you find out that a lot of things that were prophesied in the Bible come true in the Bible. Well, that's kind of a circular argument, isn't it? I believe prophecy came true because the Bible that contains prophecy says it came true later on. So the, really the more fundamental question is why do we believe the Bible is true? And when you speak to non-Christians or interact with them, that's a question you might get asked. Why do you believe the Bible is true? And you need to have some idea of that. And, and we've talked about this in other situations too in uh, winter Bible studies and stuff. But let me kind of give you the, the main points that, that in my mind I, I would go back to. Number one, the text in the Bible has been carefully preserved. When the... Uh, 
the Masoretic text, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1950s. The earliest manuscripts that people had were from the 800s, 900s, you know, eight or 900 years after Christ lived. The early, they, those were the earliest manuscripts we had at that point. And it was interesting when they got the Dead Sea Scrolls, those Dead Sea Scrolls dated from a thousand years earlier and the text in those Dead Sea Scrolls was virtually identical to the text they had from the 800s and 900s. That text was carefully preserved. The Old Testament text was carefully preserved by the Jewish scribes and by their tradition. So we trust that the scriptures we have in the Old Testament really have been preserved accurately. But what about the New Testament? Well, we have manuscripts going back very, very early. You know, 10s and 20s. 20 of years, decades, you know, after they were actually written. And when you piece together all those, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of manuscripts, when you piece all those manuscripts together, you get a consistent story. You get a, a, a text in the New Testament that we can believe is, is extremely close to what the original authors wrote. So number one, the way the text has been maintained and preserved. Number two, read a lot of things in the Bible about events that happen that, that biblical archaeology, archaeology in that area of the world continues to prove again and again that the Bible was right. For a long time, we didn't know anything about the Hittites. That was just an imaginary enemy of the Israelis until they discovered a library with thousands and thousands of clay tablets with Hittite writing on them. No one recognized Hittites, so they had to figure it out. It was a huge civilization that we had nothing about until archaeology discovered that. And that happens time and time again. So the, the, the Bible is a historically accurate document. Now, the Bible presents a worldview that is consistent. And when you really think about it, it explains a lot about how our world works. That brings in some unpopular things like sin. You know, most people don't want to hear about sin. But that's part of the biblical picture of why the world works the way it does. And if you really study how the world works and what the Bible says about that, you realize that there's, there's, there's a consistency there that just makes sense. Number four, when you look at the whole arc of the Bible, you know, it's multiple books written over thousands of years, two or three thousand years, and the story it tells inside of itself is remarkably consistent from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. Clark went through the grand stories of the Bible. That's kind of the point he was trying to make, that the message presented in the Bible is a consistent one, going all the way back to creation. Christians, we also have another little bit of something that helps us really understand and accept the Bible, and that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit living in us confirms again and again that what, the reading, what we're reading in the Bible is true. It applies to us, and it's an accurate representation and an accurate um, outflowing of God's knowledge to us. Not everyone's going to believe that argument, but if someone asks, it, you, you have good reasons to believe the Bible is actually true. And prophecies that are written about early in the Bible, particularly the prophecies about Christ that came true in the New Testament, there's just a phenomenal number of those. So we have the prophetic word, or God's word, as another source of what we know about Jesus. We have P, 
Peter's firsthand witness, and we trust Peter because over the time he was proven to be a true apostle, he was chosen by Christ, and what he wrote we can trust. But we also have the whole record of God's revelation to us. With the inner revelation, and it's not so much revelation as with the Holy Spirit's helping us to understand what we're reading in the Bible. Um, so that wraps up chapter 1. Part 2 of Tom's message picks up in the next track.